Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of Grace Point Church in Atlantic, Iowa. My name is Don McLean. I'm the senior pastor here at Grace Point. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can check us out at gracepointatlantic.com. And in the meantime, grab your Bible and check out this week's sermon. Good morning. This morning's scripture will be Hebrews chapter 5, starting in verse 11. About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to the maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of a faith toward God and of instruction about washings and the laying of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. Hebrews 5.11 through 6.3. Good morning. Christ is still risen. <laughs> my uh, my brother-in-law is um, he and his uh, his he married into the Greek Orthodoxy. He, he and his wife, and so I sent him. Today is Greek Orthodox Easter, so I uh, sent him this morning. Uh, Christ is risen. He sent it back, so that was kind of fun. Uh, We are in that passage, and that's where we'll be. Uh, Feels like a challenging one, so let's pray for help. Let's ask the Lord to help us. Lord, uh, we thank you so much for gathering us here this morning. It is a joy to be your people. It is a joy to celebrate uh, you and uh, our risen Savior, who is indeed risen. Uh, And uh, we, it's why we have hope. It's why we press on. It's why, uh, yeah, we sing about that living hope before. Just thank you so much, Lord. For Jesus. Uh, we want to pray now that you would help us as we study this text together, uh, help us to, to feel its weight and its encouragement, and uh, to take it seriously and to look and see how it applies to our own lives. That's what we ask for now, Lord. We pray that you'd help us in Jesus' name. Amen. One of my favorite comic strips uh, is a strip called Big Nate. Uh, if you're not familiar with Big Nate, it, it chronicles, chronicles the life of a sixth grade boy named Nate. And uh, it focuses, sixth graders, you know what their lives are like. It focuses a lot on his friendships and, and his school, lot, lots about school and the different teachers. And some of them uh, he likes and they like him. Others he doesn't like and they don't like him. And it's just a fun little strip about a, of the life of a sixth grade boy. Uh, it's one of those strips, I don't know how many people read this one, but it's, it's one of those strips that follows real life. It follows the, the arc of real life. And, and so in August, Nate goes back to school. Uh, and in October, he goes trick-or-treating with his friends. And in December, he 
worries about his Christmas list and whether he'll get a dog for Christmas this year and, and so on through the year. And, and when May rolls around, Nate is so glad that school is over and he's very happy to say goodbye to all of those teachers and all the rest of it. He's not a great student, you learn after a while. And, and then the summer comes and he goes on trips to the beach and he hangs out with his friends and they play baseball and sports and that sort of thing. But then a funny thing happens as you get close to the end of the summer. When, when August rolls around, Nate grabs his backpack and he goes back to the sixth grade all over again. He does the whole thing all over again. The, the story arcs are a little different. You know, maybe he gets detention from this teacher instead of that teacher. But, but most of the, the strip is the same all over again. Same teachers, same subjects, same friends, same problems. Year after year after year, actually more than 30 years, the strip was syndicated in 1991. For more than 30 years, Nate has been perpetually stuck in the sixth grade. The same thing happens with some Christians. Some Christians get stuck in their spiritual growth. And that's the danger that this morning's passage warns us about. If you've been here the last few months, you know that we're working through Hebrews together, especially the first half. We're doing the first half of Hebrews here in our church this spring. We actually have uh, two more sermons after this one, then we'll put Hebrews on pause and we'll do something else for the summer. Uh, But we've been working through Hebrews uh, up to this point, and a few weeks ago now, I, I told you that one way to outline Hebrews is that the book is structured around five major warnings. There are five different places. In fact, some, this makes a lot of scholars think Hebrews may have originally actually been a sermon because he, he gives doctrine, then he applies, doctrine, then he applies. And, and he does this five times. And so there are five major warnings in the book of Hebrews. And, and so far, we've looked at two of them. We've looked at two of the warnings. Uh, the first one was back in chapter two, and we talked about the danger of spiritual drift. Now, don't let yourself drift away from the Lord. That was the beginning of chapter 2. And then in chapter 3, we looked at the second warning, and the second warning was about the danger of of spiritual heart disease. That's what we called it. Uh, And and that can also hurt us. It can really hurt our relationship with the Lord. If we're not careful, our hearts can become hardened against the things of God. And so that was warning number 2. This morning, uh, we reached the third danger, and the third danger is stunted growth stunted growth. We're going to talk today about the danger of stunted spiritual development. And this is what's described to us in the first verse and a half of this morning's passage. Uh, let, me, let me read again verses 11 and 12. He says, about this, and we'll talk about the referent in a moment. He says, about this, we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you've become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you, again, the basic principles of the oracles of God. So I'm going to stop there. Verse 11 uh, refers back to the material we looked at a couple weeks ago. And so if, if you're here the Sunday before Easter, you might remember he, he, we got into this idea that Jesus is our great high priest. And so we're talking about the high priesthood of Jesus. It's another one of the ways Jesus is greater than everyone else. He's our great high priest. And the author tells us here in verse 11, he's like, hey, I got a lot more to say about Jesus, the great high priest, but I've got a little bit of a concern here. My concern is you folks can't handle it. That's what he says. You, 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 you can't handle it. And the reason he says they, he's concerned that maybe they can't handle it is that some of them anyway have become dull of hearing. And that's the term he uses in verse 11, dull of hearing. That's how the ESV translates it. Uh, The word here, dull, it actually means to be sluggish or lazy. 
It's a word that means lazy. And so he, when he says they're dull of hearing, he's not saying like they, you know, went to some really loud ancient rock, rock concerts and, you know, blew out their earbuds, that, or eardrums. That's not the idea. It's that they can't hear because they're too lazy to take the time to hear. They're too lazy to take the time to understand. In fact, that's actually how the CSB, if anybody uses the Christian Standard Bible, uh, that's how it's translated there. You have become too lazy to understand, it says in verse 11. So, and the result of this, right, so they've got this spiritual laziness. The, the, the result is that it has stunted their growth. And that's this whole thing he says you should be teaching, right? And, and he says this because a lot of scholars think they are second generation Christians, right? So for many of these people, they've been walking with the Lord for decades. Some of them had been born to parents who were Christians, right? So it's not the first generation of believers. It's the second generation, probably written in the 60s uh, AD, AD. And so he says, you guys, you, you've been walking with Jesus so long, you should be teaching everybody else, but instead you're still soaking it up. You're, you're still, uh, you still need to be taught by others. And he calls it the basics, like the basic principles of the oracles of God. Now, let me just stop there for a minute with these two verses. This is heavy, right? Did you feel the weight of it when, when Stacy read it before and when I read it again? This is some pretty strongly wording. It's, it's like the author, he's doing this theology and Jesus is greater than Moses and he's greater than Aaron and he's your great high priest. And then he stops and he says, but you're too, you're, you're babies. You're too, you're too immature, he says. Uh, in, in, uh, in terms of the, the literature, he gets right up in our faces and he says, uh, you're, you're too immature for some of this stuff. And, and, when you come to a passage like this in the Bible, I think we owe it to ourselves to, to feel the weight of it, right? It would be very easy for me to just kind of take this off of us and say, well, that's not us, of course, right? This, this was them. But, but I, th- I think when you come to this kind of a passage or, or a passage in the prophets, or so many of those pro- passages in the prophets kind of use that second person plural and get right in our faces uh, like this, I-, I think we owe it to ourselves to stop and say, well, is that me? Because right? hopefully it's not. Hopefully it's, it, you know, we're going to listen to this today, we're going to work through this, and we're going to say, okay, that's not where I'm at. I can grow, but that's not where I'm at. But before we dismiss it, we need to feel the weight of it. And so we're supposed to ask the question when we read verses 11 and 12, well, is that me? And more importantly, if it is me, what can I do to fix it? Because right? the Bible's never, never going to get into our faces like this to, to just leave us hopeless. So what can I do to, to address it? What can I do to fix this? And if your answer is no, if you do a, a serious, you know, search my heart, O God, Psalm 139, if you do that this morning and you end up saying, no, that's not me, great, <laughs> great, I'm glad that's not you. What can we do to make sure it's not us down the road? Right, so what can I do? So really, that's the question we're asking of this text today. If I find myself convicted, and, and I have been drifting in this direction, I have become a little spiritual lazy, spiritually lazy, well, how am I going to fix it? And if I'm not, well, how can I make sure I don't? How do I make sure that doesn't happen to me? And the answer that we are given in this text is that we need to go after spiritual maturity. Go after it. It's not a passive thing. It's an active thing. Pursue spiritual maturity. That's what this passage is urging us to do. Here's how I want to work through these verses this morning. I want to show you three pictures. It was an interesting text to work with because it, it is uh, so heavy, but it sh- stood out to me that he actually, what he's doing is he's giving us three pictures. He gives us three word pictures, metaphors, if you'd like, uh, of spiritual immaturity. And with each picture, he, he shows us, he gives us an angle on immaturity so we can think about immaturity and, and maybe, you know, self-identify with it if it does apply to us. And then also the other thing he does with the picture is he shows us how to fix it. 
These three metaphors show us what immaturity looks like and what we need to do to fix it. So that's how I want to work through these seven verses this morning. Let's, let's take a look at these, these three pictures of spiritual immaturity. Number one, the first picture in this text uh, is that of children who never grow up. That's the first picture of spiritual immaturity we get in this text. Uh, Christians who are stunted in their spiritual maturity and their spiritual development, they're like children who never grow up. And that's the the first three verses, verses 11, 12, and 13. That's where we see this first picture. So I already walked us through uh, verses 11 and 12, mostly. Uh, Again, he's talking about the high priesthood of Jesus. I've got a lot more to say about it, he says. And he is actually going to say it. So if you wonder, uh, you know, so he he kind of, he's talking about Jesus and he says, oh, but I can't say anymore. You're not ready for it yet. I'm concerned you might not be ready. In chapter seven, he decides they're ready. So there's actually a real sense of, uh, it's it's a little bit in the undercurrent, but there is a sense of optimism here. So yes, he's going to confront the reader and ask us to examine ourselves, but ultimately he decides, okay, you're ready. You are ready. And when we get to chapter 7, he goes through this whole stuff about Melchizedek and the high priesthood of Melchizedek and how Jesus is in that one and all the rest. And so, so it's not a negative pull on us here. There is a basic optimism to this. Uh, but before we can move on to the deeper doctrine, we need to wrestle with this. That's what he's telling us. And so he says, you're, 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 some of you, some of you, he says, are, are, are spiritually dull. Uh, you're, you're not ready to hear it yet. And then he gives a picture. Right, so here comes picture number one. It's in the second half of verse 12. <clears throat> he says, you need milk. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. So here's what he's doing. The author compares the basic principles of God's word. Right? And he's going to give us a little bit of feel of the kind of thing he means when we get to verses, uh, first part of chapter 6. So he doesn't define them, but right now he just says it. The basic principles of God's word are like milk. And when he says milk, he means mother's milk. Right? So he's talking about mother's milk, which makes this one of those metaphors that everyone can understand. Right? This is, this is uh, really a universal human thing. Nursing a baby is universally human. Uh, it, you know, different cultures have different practices around it, and it's done different ways in different times, but it, it is a basic part of being human. Human beings, uh, our women, our females, uh, nurse uh, the babies. And so his point, what's the point of the picture? The point is uh, babies start on a real simple diet. Right? Just like new Christians, babies start on a real simple diet. Babies eat one thing. They eat one thing, it's, it's, it's mother's milk, or perhaps in some cases modern uh, f- formula, or maybe a wet nurse in a different culture in ancient times, but that babies eat one thing, uh, and it's, it's good, right? It's a simple, wholesome, nutritious food. That's what babies eat. And, and I want to stress that part right there, because as we're talking about the basics in today's passage, and this urging to kind of move on from the basics is, is, is some of the language that's used here. At no point does the author ever say the basics are bad. And there's nothing bad about mother's milk. On the contrary, mother's milk is good, right? There's all, I remember you know, when, when we were having babies long ago, I mean, yeah, I, was, I was shocked as a man, especially kind of really, you know, there's, there's vitamins and nutrients and antibodies and it makes your baby healthy and all this kind of amazing stuff. There's nothing bad about mother's milk as you read this passage. So he's not saying mother's milk is bad, and he's not saying the basics are bad, all right? So understand that. However, here comes the problem. However, it is a problem if a baby never moves on from milk. 
If the baby never moves on, that's a problem because babies have to grow up and stop being babies and become children and then, and then adults. You have to move on from, from mother's milk to solid food. And it's a wonderful picture because, you know, it's a process, right? Parents, parents know this firsthand, but I think we all know it, right? It's, it's different. It's always different. Um, you know, some babies move on quickly, Right? Some children, you know, they're sitting there and like two months and they can, you know, they can barely sit in the high chair and they're, they're like pointing at their sister's hamburger, right? <laughs> you know, I, I want what you guys are eating. I've known babies like that. Some babies are very happy with milk for months and months and months. So, so the, the needs are different. So it's kind of a very rich picture. But, but in the end, so, so it's this idea of different pacing, but they all move on. Right? And, and if they don't, if they don't, we, there's something wrong, right? Eventually the baby has to move on. And, and so that's the point in this first picture. Believers need the basics, right? The basics are good for us. It's, it's how we got saved. It's how we came to know Jesus. But if we never move on from the basics, we, we won't mature, right? We won't, we, we'll be stuck like Nate, Nate, Big Nate in, in the sixth grade. We'll be stuck. We won't mature. Now, why is this a problem? You say, well, what, what's the big deal? I mean, why, why is this a problem? Well, it's, it's a problem because we never learn how to live for Jesus, right? So it's a problem for a human baby for all the reasons we can imagine. And that, you know, but, but, but why is it a problem for Christians to get stuck like this? Well, he tells us why in verse 13. You never learn how to live for Jesus. Everyone who lives on milk, he says, is unskilled in the word of righteousness because he's still a child. Unskilled in the word of righteousness. That phrase, uh, word of righteousness, what it emphasizes, it, it emphasizes the ethical side of the gospel, right? And so you see righteousness and you might be tempted to think like import Pauline ideas of justification by faith and the whole way Paul uses that word in, in Romans. But I, I think it's, it's meant more here in terms of righteous living, right? So the word of righteousness, God's word on what it takes to live the Christian life and what it takes to please God. Babies don't know that. Right? Babies don't know they're not supposed to pick their nose or they're not supposed to make obnoxious comments and, you know, or toddlers aren't supposed to say, you know, you know mommy, why is he so old looking you know, in, the, in, the, in the grocery store? That kind of thing. Um, babies don't know that, but adults do. Adults do, and older children do learn that stuff. It's that sort of idea here. If we don't mature, if we don't grow in our faith, we're, gonna, we're not going to know how to live for God. And that's the thing. Lots of, there are lots of people in the world who know all sorts of doctrine, Right? Lots of people who know doctrine, but then when it comes to ethics, they can't find their way out of a brown paper bag. They're, they're just kind of stuck, like, like toddlers, like toddlers who, who don't know how to live. So, so that's why it's a problem. Why, so that's why this spiritual immaturity is a problem, why he's going to stop here and pause in, with this third warning in the book. The question then becomes, well, then how am I going to fix it? And this is where the picture, the, this metaphor is so helpful. How do I fix it? Well, I start eating solid food. Right? You start eating solid food. You move on from the basics and you start eating uh, the, the solids. And, and that's really what the author is pushing us on here. He's saying, look, get off the kid's menu. Right? Get off the kid's menu and start eating the grown-up food. You ever take your kids out or you know, nieces, nephews, grandkids to like, uh, like a restaurant? And, you know, they're little, so they give you the kid's menu. You kind of look at the kid's menu, you're like, you know, I'd kind of like a hot dog and some mac and cheese, you know? But, but no, you're not supposed to. That's too embarrassing. You're not going to order off the kid's menu, and they'll know you're trying to cheat on the prices anyway. So no, you, you're supposed to eat off of the adult menu, right? You're supposed to eat the grown-up food. That's what the author's pushing us to do here. So eat the solid foods. Go after adult fare. That's, that's what this first picture pushes us on. 
Uh, one way to do this, let me give a couple suggestions, and the suggestions I'm going to give this morning are going to overlap across the different points, so we'll just kind of stack them all up here as we go. But one way to do this, first one especially, is to make sure you attend a church where they serve meat. Make sure there's meat on the menu, right? Make sure it's not just all milk. Uh, that's certainly what we go after here, right? So that's what we go after here at Grace, Grace Point. Hopefully, uh, that's one of the reasons you're here this morning is because we do that. Uh, we, we are very committed, whether it's me or whoever stands in this pulpit or teaches classes or whatever it is. We are, we are very committed uh, to, to, to serving uh, a healthy, uh, meaty fare. Let me say it that way. Uh, but let me say, you know, if, if the Lord ever moves you on, right? If the Lord ever moves you on to another church, maybe you have to relocate or maybe you just feel you need to go somewhere else. Fine. Stay away from the spoon feeders. I mean it. Stay away from the, the, the churches where the sermons are 10 minutes long and half of that is jokes and stories. You're not going to grow on that. You're just not going to grow on that. It's, it's like eating off the kids menu at Chuck E. Cheese or wherever. So, so, so do that. Eat off the, the adult menu by finding a church, hopefully this one, but, but finding a church where, where they're, serving, they're serving you rich meals. Another application of that, though, is that we also, we also all need to learn how to cook for ourselves, right? I mean, imagine if your college student only you know, ate one good meal a week, right? He or she comes home on, on the weekend and has one meal with you and then goes back and eats you know, cold cereal all the other six days. Uh, we, we need to know how to cook for ourselves. And, and so obviously I, I, I spend a, a lot of my time uh, you know, cooking for you. I've, I've often thought in terms of that metaphor, in terms of what, what I do in my job, but you also need to learn how to, to cook for yourselves. And so Get into a Bible study or take advantage of some of the resources. There's so many resources these days, books and commentaries and podcasts. And, you know, we, I, I thought of that right now media thing, that service we subscribe to as a church. Most of you know what I'm talking about. If you don't, come find me afterwards. I'll explain it. But it's basically a, a video. It's almost like a, it's, its own little Christian video network with all kinds of stuff in there. And we have a subscription to it as a church, and any of you can use it. At, at no cost to you because we pay for the subscription as a church. There's some really good stuff in there. Some of it, you know, yeah, maybe some of it's baby food, kind of intentionally, actually. It's got a lot of wonderful kids programming. There's also some very deep stuff there. That's something you could do uh, to cook for yourself. Those are just a couple examples. The point is uh, where there's lots and lots of resources, right? The spiritual grocery store is overflowing, but resources are only good if we use them. Right? Resources are useless if we don't use them. So, so use them. Pursue spiritual maturity by making sure that you yourself are eating a, a healthy, uh, so, healthy spiritual diet of, of God's word, of solid food. That's picture number one. Number two, the second picture this text gives us, and these are going to kind of overlap with each other and go back and forth, but the second picture is that of an athlete who never trains. She says, okay, kids, don't do it for you. Let me give you this one. An athlete who never trains. Believers who become spiritually stunted are like athletes who never do what the coach tells them to do. They never train. That's what he gives us in verse 14. So verse 14, he says, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So in this verse, verse 14, the author finishes what he's saying about children. Right? He wraps that up. Babies live on milk, verse 13. Solid food is for the mature. Right? So that's verse 14, beginning of verse 14. Solid food is for the mature. But then he, he switches the metaphor on us in the middle of verse 14. Right? He's right in the middle of it. He says, let me tell you what these mature, grown-up Christians are like. Here's what they're like. Uh, they're like those who have their powers of discernment 
trained by constant practice. All right, so here's what we, here's what we do want to be. So it's actually, he gives us the, spirit, the, the picture of spiritual maturity, and we're, we're flipping it to look at immaturity. But, but it, mature believers are those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice. This gets lost a little bit in English, but there are two um, athlete words, sports words there in verse 14. The first word is the word practice or constant practice. This is the Greek word, and there was a Greek word for this. They're a very athletic kind of a culture. Uh, this is the Greek word that describes a physical habit that you repeat. So we, exercise, it's the, it's, the, uh, it's the word for exercise. We might say doing reps, right? I mean, so let's say you wanted to strengthen your biceps. You don't just pick up a, a, a barbell and kind of go like that and go, ha ha, I'm done. Uh, no, you, you, know, you pick up the barbell, you find the right weight, not too much, not too little, and you do, you do 10 reps, and then you rest, and then you do 10 reps, and then you rest, and then you do 10 reps, and, and then you wait a day or two, and you come back and you do it all over again, and you do that over time, and that's how, if you're going to build up your muscles, that's how you do it. That's this word. This word, and, and that's why um, constant practice is a very good translation of what's really just a single Greek word. Uh, it's only got four letters in it, too. It's a short word, but constant practice translates one word that basically, think of it in terms of doing reps or do, doing exercise. The other athletic word in verse 14 is the verb, and it's the word, it's the word train. It's translated trained here in our text. The Greek word, I'm going to butcher this because I've always had a hard time saying this word, but the Greek word is gymnazdo, gymnazdo. Do you hear the word gymnasium or gymnast? That's where we get those words from. It comes from this Greek word, gymnazdo. And it's the verb that means to train, exercise, with, with a sense of discipline. Discipline's wrapped into it, to train or to practice. And so you can see, you can see where this picture emerges from these words. If you want to grow, he says, if you want to you know, get strong in your faith, you're going to need to go after it. You're going to need to train. You're going to have to exercise. You're going to have to put in the work, just like an athlete has to do. Um, baseball season started a couple weeks ago. Um, you know, MLB, I like to follow the, the major leagues. And uh, I didn't see any stories like this this year. I've been kind of busy, but I know other years. It seems like every year this happens. Some athlete will show up to spring training totally out of shape, right? And they're paying this guy $30 million to play baseball, and he shows up 30 pounds overweight. That's like one pound for every million they're paying him. And, and you can tell. You, you know what he did with the offseason, the answer is nothing, right? He, he didn't exercise, he didn't lift, he just let his diet go, he didn't get in the batting cage, he didn't do anything. And it shows, he shows up and, and he can't field, he hits and the balls are terrible, and, and, but they're paying him $30 million, right? So they got you know, to keep him on the team or whatever it is. But, but why, does he, why does he look so bad in spring training? And hopefully his talent will catch up and it'll kick in, but why does he look so bad? It's because he wasn't training. He didn't train, right? He has all the talent, but he didn't do the work. That's the picture here. That, that can happen to us sometimes. We, we, don't, we, we, can have, we can have the analog to the talent would be being born again. We're born again, but we need to train. And so why is this a problem? What's the issue here? Why do we need to train? Why is it important? That baseball player needs to do it so he can keep his spot on the team. Why do we need to do it? Well, it's because if we don't, our, what does he focus on? Our powers of discernment become flabby. They become weak. That's what it says in verse 14. So the ball player who doesn't train, his, his skills get weak. The believer who doesn't train, and this is the training, although it's not the only way, but it's where the training starts. A believer who doesn't train, our ability to discern between right and wrong becomes weak. That's where the emphasis goes in verse 14. We need to train our powers of discernment, he says, his language, so we can distinguish good from evil. We have to learn that. 
I think sometimes we, we make the mistake of thinking once someone is converted, that person is now going to know how to live the Christian life. They'll just know. They'll just know what God requires. They'll just know what it takes to please God. They'll just know how God wants us to live. They'll just be able to tell now, magically, how to tell the difference between right and wrong. Almost like, a, like software, right? Like you buy a new phone and, uh, you know, and you, you hook up to the Wi-Fi and the operating system just gets downloaded from the cloud. And boom, the phone just knows what to do. You don't have to train it. It just knows. That's not how it works with, with Christianity. We need to be trained in God's word so that we know what, it, what God requires. And I think our failure to change is where a lot of our problems come in. It really is. That, that, that failure to train in, in the scriptures, in doctrine, as well as in the Christian practices, things like prayer and evangelism and so on. We get weak when we're not training, when we're not doing our exercises. Uh, I, I could give lots of examples, but I thought I would just give one that we're, we're all pretty familiar with because it's such a hot button issue right now. The Bible teaches that God created human beings, male and female, right? There's, there's two genders and only two genders. It's, it's, it's really quite clear, actually, in the scriptures. But if we don't train on that one, if we don't take the time to study and say, okay, where does that come from? And what are its implications? And what does it mean? You know, how does that work out philosophically? How does that, how does that inform things like marriage and people's self-understanding? If we don't take the time to drill down on and, 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 and spend some time to learn and understand that doctrine, we're going to be at a real disadvantage. We're going to be like a ball player who ate nothing but chips all, all season we're, and then shows up for spring training. We're going to be at a severe disadvantage when it comes time to make a moral judgment about something. So for example, the transgender movement uh, in our culture right now. Uh, we, why is there so much confusion? I think one of the problems we see it even among Christians uh, is that we, we have a lot of Christians who, who aren't doing the training. Christians and churches that aren't doing, doing the training. We're like athletes who, who don't put in the gym time. And, and so we need to. We need to do that. And you can see then why this is such a practical issue. It's, it's, it, we are dealing with, and that's just one example, but there's so many issues we deal with in, in, our, in our day. Issues of, of right and wrong is why this emphasis on, on the ethical side of things. We're not just talking about getting all your doctrinal eyes dotted and the T's crossed. We're talking about right and wrong, sometimes even the difference between life and death. Right? Think about uh, an understanding of, of you know, why actually abortion is wrong or what's wrong with euthanasia. You know, why not? You know, if somebody's suffering, why not just give them a shot and put them down? You know, like, wh why not? Well, it, it becomes from a fundamental misunderstanding of what this book is teaching. And so we need to train. We need to train. Uh, and, and so it, it does, it starts with the word, but then other things come into play as well. I think prayer is part of it, sharing our faith is part of it, service is part of it. But these are all things that we do to, to build up our faith and to strengthen uh, our, our, ourselves in the direction of maturity. So that's picture number two. Uh, children who never grow up, athletes who never train. The third picture in this text that he gives us of spiritual immaturity is that of a builder who never finishes the job. It's a builder who never finishes. And so he lays the foundation and then he never goes on to the rest of the project, right? It's all basement, no house. That, that's the, the third picture he gives us here. And where we see it is in verses one and two of the next chapter. So it's chapter six. Chapter breaks are artificial. They were added centuries later. Um, I think it, it, they go right together. So here's picture number three. He says, therefore, uh, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. 
All right, so let's let us leave those things, he says. So he starts with a conclusion. There is a therefore here. He says, therefore, given, given what I've told you so far, let's do something. He says, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ. And that's a phrase that's more or less the, the same in meaning as what he said in verse 12, basic principles of the oracles of God. He says, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. Now, let me stop there and clarify what, what that means, because it would be easy to misunderstand this. He says, uh, leave, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ. We are not being told here to leave it in the sense of leaving it behind, right? It's not leave the, ele- leave the basic gospel like you don't need it anymore. That's not the sense of this. Uh, and, and it just comes from the pictures, it, the, the, why I'm, the reason I'm saying this is the pictures, right? It, it, you, don't, you don't get rid of the thing, you build on the thing, right? So he's saying leave it in the sense of moving on to the next part of the project. And that's this idea of a, of a builder, right? So, so we're not saying this morning, we don't, we, we don't need the basics. We always need the basics, okay? We always need uh, the, the simple gospel, just like a house always needs a foundation, Right? You all live somewhere and a house must or apartment building, whatever it is, has, has a foundation. And so we need the foundation, but we've got to build on the foundation. And that's the point he's making when he says, let us leave. He's saying, let us move on to, let us move on to. Uh, the builder part comes from uh, this, this word foundation. And again, he uses, uh, the Greek word he uses here is the Greek word for a foundation. So if you were a contractor in the Roman Empire uh, and you went to build a house and you poured the foundation or you did the foundation, this is the word you'd use. It's, It's the word he uses here when he says not laying again a foundation. And then he actually gives a list of six things. I'll come back to the list in just a moment. But before I look at the list, just again, that's, that's a, it's a foundation. So he takes a, a word, just like the, with the exercise word, actually. He takes a word from their physical experience, the foundation of a house or a building, and he, he uses it to talk about the gospel, the Christian, the basic Christian teachings, right? And so spiritual immaturity, what's his picture? It's, it's like a builder who lays the foundation, but then walks away from the project. Imagine having a contractor like that. Right? He, he pours the basement and then he says, all right, I'm, I'm done. <laughs> send, the, send the money, you know, check, send the check. Uh, he said, that, that's, that's, that would be bad. Don't do that. Let me just look real quick at the list. He gives us this list of six things, six uh, basic concepts. That's, they are the foundation. He says, not laying a foundation of, and then he tells us these six things. So these six things are all foundational. And I don't think he means to say they're the only things on the foundation, but they're all part of it. Um, it's interesting. They're actually, I think the best way to look at them is to group them. They're actually in pairs. So the first pair, if you have the scripture in front of you, the first pair are two things that have to do with conversion. So the beginning of the Christian life, the second pair are two things that have to do with the church. So the, the living the Christian life. And then the third pair has to do with the future. It's what's coming at the end of days. And what he says about those six things is they're all basic. Right? We could dig in on all of these, but actually it kind of would undermine his point because he's basically telling us we don't have to dig in on all of these things because we should know them. And so he goes, repentance from sin, salvation by faith. That's the first pair. Basic, right? If you haven't turned, you know, forsaken that life of sin, that's basic. We're supposed to do that. The next two, that he's, the washings thing has to do with baptism and the laying on of hands has to do with probably praying praying for people, but maybe also ordaining, but just the whole idea of church life. That's basic. You pray for people. You know, here's what baptism means. And then the last two are what comes in the future, right? When a person dies, that's not the end of the story. Resurrection of the dead, the final judgment. 
It's basic. That's his point. It's foundational. It's foundational Christian doctrines and practices. And so his point is, again, not that those things are not important. Those things are crucial. Those things are essential. And so it's not that we get rid of those things. It's that those are the things we build on. Those are the things we build on. Uh, You don't want to live in a house, right, that doesn't have a foundation. Jesus told a parable about that. That house is going to collapse. But at the same time, you don't want to live in a house that is only foundation. Right? Imagine where you live, right? There's, there's no, beautiful foundation, nice and solid, but we've never taken the time to put up a wall or some walls or some windows or a roof or anything like that. That's, you don't want to live in that house. It's not a good thing. And so we need to build on the foundation. It's part of this process of maturity. How do we do it? What's that look like? Well, it's a lot of the things I've been talking about already. It's, 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 it's find ways to go deeper. Right? Don't indulge that, that spiritual laziness that he identified in, in, uh, in verse 11. And, and it kind of tugs on all of us from time to time and in different seasons. Don't indulge that. Instead, he says, go after things that help you go deeper in your faith. And you say, what kind of things? Well, that's, I think this, well, there's so much freedom here. If it helps you grow, then it, it counts. Right? So are you big into podcasts? Listen to, you know, like you've got a favorite Christian podcaster you like to listen to. If it's helping you grow, that's awesome. Maybe it's worship music. That's great. If it's helping you grow, that's great. Maybe it's being in a Bible study. I recommend Bible studies strongly because we, when we study the word in, in community, we help each other grow around it. That's a big part of it. This, what we're doing right here, that's a big part of what we do. It's why we're going to be told later in the book, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Why? It's not because the author of Hebrews um, has a bee in his bonnet about, about people have to go to church all the time so his attendance numbers look good. No, it's for yourselves. It's for ourselves that we do it. It's one of the things that helps us go deeper. And so whatever it is, right? I think sharing our faith is a big one. Serving in Jesus' name is a big one. These are all things that help us grow deeper in our faith in Jesus Christ. That's what we're being pushed here to do. We're being urged and pushed to start somewhere. Don't just be like a baby on milk. Don't be like an athlete sitting on the couch. Don't be like a builder who pours the basement and says, all right, I'm done with the project. Have fun. Uh, Instead, take concrete, intentional steps to pursue spiritual growth, to go after it in your own life. The church is not meant, the church of Jesus Christ is not meant to be like some comic where the characters never grow up. That's not what we're called to. That's not God's intention for his people. He wants us to, to grow. And, and, and I, I do want to say, I want to give um, just a moment to this, but it's, it's important to know that a big part of this is God's work. Right? So we're not, again, we're not doing legalism here. We're not doing works righteousness. A big part of this is God's work. It's not in the seven verses we looked at this morning. Well, actually, it's, it's in the seventh one. Right? Why does he say what he says in verse three? And this we will do if God permits. Right? We will move on from the foundations if God permits. God's, God's the one who's going to do this in us and through us. Right? So that's, that's the acknowledgement to grace and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives in this section. It's in lots of other places in this book too. And so yes, this is God's work. God's going to do it in us. We dare not pursue sanctification apart from the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. This is God's work that he does in us. But this text, this warning passage also says there's a part for us. And again, it comes from those pictures. A building isn't going to build, it, build itself. Boy, I'd love to be a contractor where all you had to do was pour the foundation, you came back a week later and the building had built itself. Wouldn't that be great? But it doesn't work that way. 
Same thing with an athlete, right? You can, have, you, can, you can be LeBron James or whoever, but if you don't get out and shoot the baskets or put in the time, those skills are never going to develop. You've got to have the work to do. And it's even true with the first picture. It's even true with children. You say, well, children just grow, right? It's, it's kind of a joke. You know, they grow like weeds. Yeah, children just grow, but they grow right <laughs> when you put in the work, right? They grow best when you put in the work, right? They need the inputs, Right? That's, that's the whole point of the picture. They need care from their parents. They need food. They need to be challenged. Right? That whole thing where you know, th- there's work that goes into it. You know, okay, so great. You know, he's mother's milk. Now we're going to try smashed peas. Right? So you get the smashed peas and they go all over their face and their hair. And okay, we mastered smashed peas. Now let's try Cheerios. Right? You put a few dry Cheerios on the table. and they start, right? that's, it's, it's a process that's pursued. It's gradual. It's step by step. But it's intentional and it's moving in the direction of maturity. And that's the point of this warning. That's the point. Do the work, invest the time, put in the effort. If we're going to grow in our faith, uh, we need to pursue. We need to go after spiritual growth. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, we thank you for the, the challenge of this passage. I thank you for, um, for challenging me with it all week and challenging us with, us, with it this morning. Uh, I pray, Lord, that you would help us with this. Uh, you know, Lord, you know we are dust. You know what we live with. You know the pressures on people's time, every one of us, uh, and um, the distractions and the pressures on our time. I just want to pray for, for myself and my brothers and sisters who are hearing this, that you will use this to, um, to, to help, us. help us. Help each one of us to identify one place in our life where we could, uh, we could and we need to, to, uh, to dedicate, whether it's time or energy or uh, commitment or whatever it might be, to, to, to press on uh, a little deeper with you. I pray that that would be the takeaway from this. Help us to do so with grace and uh, under the umbrella of your kindness and mercy and compassion. Uh, and uh, we just thank you for that. We invite you to be working in us for your great glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.